Greetings, travelers, and welcome to Episode 7 of RPG Crossing Radio. For this show, we have a big topic so massive, it is all we could fit into this show. More on that later. I am, however, your host, David Robison, a.k.a. Roby, on RPGCrossing.com. Joining me for this episode are the usual suspects, Haga. Good morning. And M. Brodak. Good afternoon. <laughs> okay, for this show's massively massive big topic, we are talking with Amber E. Scott, a RPG writer and longtime friend of RPGCrossing.com. Thanks for joining us, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Um, so uh, to start things off, uh, you have uh, written content for such prolific publishers as Wizards, Giants in the Playground, and Piazzo. How long have you been an RPG writer, and what was your build-up to achieving the greatness that is your work? <laughs> well, thank you so much for all the kind words. I used to write game material all the time, of course, when I was a kid and just started out playing role-playing games. I started out uh, with AD&D 2nd Edition and moved into other systems. I remember submitting an article to Dragon Magazine when I was like 13 or something, and it was a really bad article <laughs> and was not published. And then uh, it sort of fell to the wayside. I did a lot of other types of writing in the meantime. And it was 2004 when I got really serious about contributing to role-playing game companies. And I was lucky enough to break into uh, Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. And that led to a lot of different opportunities. So it's been almost 10 years now that I've considered myself a professional role-playing writer. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got started. I don't know, are you interested in some details of like the first projects that I did? Uh, yeah, that'd be great if you could offer that up. Sure. Well, the way I actually started professionally is kind of funny. The uh, Dragon Magazine, I got one one issue, had a letter in it from a writer or a reader that wanted Dragon to publish an ecology of the Duergar, the Dark, the dark Dwarfs. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, oh, man, I, I could totally write that article. I'd be so good at that. And my friend said, well, why don't you why don't you send them a letter and say you'd like to write it? I said, oh, you know, they probably have lots of people on it, and probably a lot of people have already have already asked if they can do that, because it was right there in the magazine. But he, he pushed me, my friend did, and so eventually I wrote a letter to the editor, who's Matt Sarnett at the time, and said, I noticed the reader had asked about an ecology of the Duragar. I'd love to write that if you'd give me a chance. And surprise, surprise, he said, sure. I was really taken aback, but I wrote this article. It was the first professional article I'd ever written, and after a couple of back and forths and a rewrite, they accepted the article and, and bought it. And that was 2004. It was the same year that I went to Gen Con for the first time, and luckily uh, Paizo was there as well, and they had a couple of booths, a couple of uh, seminars, and I got to introduce myself to a few of the editors who worked there. And that was a great start to my career. It was, uh, I got another great push a few months later when my husband actually got work in Seattle, where, of course, the Paizo and Wizards of the Coast offices are. And once we moved there, I was able to get to know the editors of the companies a little better, do lunch dates and that sort of thing. And that really elevated me into uh, a better category of writing because they were able to get to know me and I was able to figure out really what they wanted from their different publications and yeah fill the needs excellent excellent nice. now uh we're gonna jump back 
and uh, kind of interested to hear about the uh, to for you to maybe elaborate on this uh, first submission at thirteen. Did uh, <laughs> did they give you any feedback, or did you just not hear from them at all? No, no, they gave me feedback. Oh, they, awesome! They were great. Uh, I can't remember who the editor was at the time, but uh, I remember my pitch was for music that you can play for different to elicit different moods during the adventure. I had this really great idea that I would have like lists of songs or or something along those lines uh, that I pitched. And they, you know, there are a lot of problems with the concept of the article, of course, getting rights to, to publishing song names and that sort of thing. But the, the pitch itself was very vague and it didn't have a lot of specificity of the kind of moods. I was saying a mood would be like fighting. And when the editor wrote back, he's like, yeah, fighting isn't really a mood. It's kind of an action. And, uh, but you know, it was a really nice rejection letters, rejection letters go and had a lot of good feedback in it. So I like to think that it, it helped toughen me up at a young age for all the rejection that was coming. Cause it's a part of every writer's life. Did you keep, did you keep that initial plug? Like, have you ever looked back on it and said, Hmm, I could, do it again with this sort of idea or this spin on it? I haven't, you know. I kept the letter for a long time, and I think it must have gotten lost in a move or something because I can't Aww. find it anymore. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Maybe that will be my next my next big project. Will be lists, lists of, of moves <laughs> and, and appropriate songs. Yeah. Well, as our resident Pathfinder uh, fan, uh, to regular listeners, you know, I'm the fan. Uh, what about this new uh, Pathfinder campaign, Chronicles of the Righteous? I understand that this is your first solo project. What's it like to to do this and writing your entire campaign setting book? It's my first major solo project, yeah. I did a book called Pirates of the Inner Sea last year, which technically was mostly my own text, but it was one of the the little floppy ones that don't have their own spine. And this was a a major piece uh, that has a spine. And it was a major undertaking for sure. Definitely the first thing that went through my head was, wow, the staff trust me this much that they're going to give me or offer me this entire project to do on my own. And so for those of you who don't know much about the way the role-playing industry works, most books aren't written by a single author. The way that books are developed, at least at the companies I've worked for, is in-house the staff decides on the what the book is going to be. Let's have a book uh, that's all going to be about gods or, or a book that's all going to be about dragons or something like that. And then as a team, usually with one person taking the lead as developer, they work out an outline and then they break the outline into sections and they assign sections to different writers. So there could be as many as, well, for a really big, like a campaign or a really big campaign core book, like, say, the Game Mastery Guide, I contributed a few pieces to that. I think there were, like, over eight or nine writers, I think, on the project altogether. And then the developer's job is to take all these pieces of writing and kind of sew them together and make them coherent and make sure there isn't a lot of any uh, redundancies or contradictions inside the text, which is a pretty major job, as you can imagine. And the more writers are on a project, the more difficult that job is for the developer. And most of the projects I've worked on have been really great in that the writers are willing to work together. We email or do Skype chats or what have you to make sure that we're all contributing something that's cohesive, but that isn't going to overlap with the other writers' um, contributions. 
So it's a pretty big deal to be asked to do an entire book by myself. And I was very nervous, but I uh, had a great support from Paizo. I was at PaizoCon last year and got to meet my developer editor, who's Wes Schneider. And we sat down for an hour or two and kind of hammered out what his vision of the book was and what I was going to contribute to it. And then he pretty much gave me my head, and I was able to just write all these Imperial Lords and some new spells, and there's some new magic items, a lot of history of the different Imperial Lords, how they came to be, which are like sort of the angelic... uh, the great angelic beings, like the good equivalent of arc devils or demon lords, and uh, all their portfolios and domains that they that they offer for worshippers. There's a new prestige class. It's a really fantastic book, and I'm so pleased with the way it turned out. And yeah, very proud that I was able to do this for Paizo. Cool. Um, Sounds like it. Now, uh, from the time that you got the phone call where Paizo was like hey, do you want to do this book? And then when you turned in all your stuff to them and you were done, how long was that entire process? Um, I believe they offered it to me. Usually they do a lot of assignments in May. And I think I probably got the email about it in May. And I said, oh, great. Well, I'm coming. I'll be there in July for the PaizoCon. Maybe we can talk about it then because there was a later deadline on it. And Wes said, sure. And then I saw him. It would have been the first weekend in July. And I got my outline a couple weeks later and wrote through till, I think I had three months for this project. So I had three months of actual writing time for around 45,000 words altogether. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, you know, tight deadlines on role-playing game stuff. A lot of it is centered around the summer because they want to get big projects out for Gen Con and Origins and that sort of thing. So they'll have a lot yeah. to talk about and a lot of releases to offer in that summer kind of area. But, yeah, it was a good solid outline. The hardest part is making sure that I'm not duplicating something. I mean, I think of a spell and think, oh, that would be a great idea for a spell. What about a spell that, I don't know, she's like lightning out of your eyes. That's awesome. And then I start to write it and I think, well, okay, first of all, what are the lightning spells? Is this too similar? Is it too different? Maybe there's already a spell where you shoot lightning out of your eyes. Is there? Maybe I just read it. Did I read it somewhere? And then I get paranoid and I have to start like looking through all my books. And of course there's a new spell in like every supplement. So I'm in the process of just making a little Excel spreadsheet that just ticks off, uh, you know, what books have spells in them, what books have magic items, so I can more easily reference. Because I'm old school and I, I don't use the SRD as much as I should. And uh, <laughs> although it's a great, great tool for role-playing writers and making sure that our content is unique and interesting. So how much of your time do you think was just peeling through books looking to make sure you weren't duplicating spells? Wow, it's hard to say. Um, <laughs> fortunately, there weren't a lot of new spells in that particular. I think there was like six new spells, so I didn't have to work. But, uh, you know, take any of the Imperial Lords that I wrote about in the book. Um, say take uh, Regathiel is a good example. So he's the lawful good Imperial Lord of vengeance and justice and righteousness. And he's, you know, super bad. Uh, he's got five wings. He used to have six and one got cut off in this fight with the demon lord like he's really amazing and so i get a 300 word or whatever entry on him well 
where does he first appear? So I look in the inner sea world guide and I look in gods and magic and, oh yeah, there's a couple of things about Regathiel. I got to make sure I didn't, you know, that I, that I build up what's already there, like that I reinforce it, but that I also offer something new so that anyone picking up the book is like, oh, well, this is just the same thing that's in the inner sea world guide. So even small things have a lot of research components to them. Just as a rule of thumb or like a wild guess, I'd say that, you know, for every hour I spend writing, I'd probably spend half an hour like flipping through books. <laughs> wow. Do you also have to concern yourself with other books being written at the same time? Like are there other books not yet published that you have to make sure you don't overlap with? Sometimes. Usually the developers are the ones who handle it on that end, so I don't have to worry too much. But I do remember I was looking at one book where I was going to be writing something about rangers. This was a while ago. And I knew there was like an animal companions book coming out in the line. And so mm -hmm. I just put notes basically in the text for the developers. I use comments in my Word documents saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I decided this about animal companions. Be sure and check with so-and-so about this book and make sure it doesn't contradict. And whenever yeah. I'm not sure about something, I generally put a note in because they have so much more well-organized information at their fingertips than I do. So I'll put in a note saying, hey, I called this guy, you know, uh, I, I made up this nickname for the Imperial Lord. Just make sure it doesn't appear anywhere else or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So not having um, that much to do, of course, with Pathfinder myself, what's, what's the difference between, you know, the, the actual campaign setting things that you're writing at the moment and the adventure path that you've got due for August, I think it is? Yes, I'm very excited about the adventure path. Uh, the adventure path is called Wrath of the Righteous, which means I did two projects in a row with Righteous in the name, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I am the righteous writer, I guess. Fair and enough. the campaign setting books that Pathfinder puts out are for game masters and players alike. They're there yep. to add flavor to the world. They have new spells, new magic items, you know, the crunch, mm -hmm. as well as expanding the world and the races in it and the different kinds of uh, countries and magic and history of the world. The Adventure Path is six, a six-book series where each book has part of a linked adventure for GMs mm -hmm. to run. And then it yep. will also have other information. It generally has new monsters. Uh, and then a smaller piece that expands some part of the world, as well as some fiction. And I wrote the actual adventure part for episode one, I guess you could call it, of the new adventure okay. app that's coming out. Uh, my contribution was called The World Wound Incursion. And Paizo's already said on their uh, website that this is going to be an adventure path where the PCs are face-to-face -face with the ultimate evils. The world wound is a place where there's a rift that's open to the abyss. Demons pour out and there are beleaguered paladins and knights ringing the borders of this, of this area, uh, fighting an unending battle against these never diminishing fiends that want to overwhelm the world and, you know, do evil demonic things. <laughs> yes, and yes. the seas wind up in the middle of all this. And so it's going to be an amazingly uh, expansive kind of a setting or kind of a adventure path that's going to have a lot of potential for glorious sacrifice and incredible deeds and epic tales being sung about your heroes. So it's going to be pretty amazing. Is general like righteousness? Sorry? General, general righteousness? Is that general the, the theme? 
Yes, absolutely. And I didn't know this until after uh, the World Wound Incursion was announced on the website, but I actually am also the first woman to ever write an adventure path for Paizo. So that was quite oh. an honor. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like um, it's a pretty big, powerful sort of setting. Do, do you have a like a level range for these adventures, or did they all start at one, go to... 20 or whatever it is or or is it more focused the high end of things it usually they usually start at level one and go up to somewhere in the high teens to 20 uh because i wrote the first one i know for sure that this starts at level one and get your your ordinary level one heroes who are at the world wound for some reason either searching for glory or uh an honorable death or just trying to make a difference in the world and it'll go from there and it'll be amazing and are you doing any further bits to this this adventure path, or is it just the first one you're working on? It's just the first one. I've already written it, so it's okay. uh, at the offices in development. But yep. uh, there may be the potential that you might see my name on a future adventure path that I cannot say anything about yet. <laughs> <Ooh>. Cool. <laughs> um, when you guys write an adventure path, is there typically a lot of uh, uh, play testing at the... Uh offices as you say once it's done or is it just you write them and then they look over them and then they're out to to the printers i haven't actually been able to participate in any of the play testing but that does go on at the office either they uh play themselves or have trusted play testers to uh go through the adventures as you can read an adventure as closely as you want and i like to think that when i write adventures i think of it from the perspective of the GM and the player, and I try to anticipate areas that are going to be problematic. Just as an example, the one the one lonely adventure I ever wrote for Dungeon Magazine, which is a great story I should tell you if we have time, was <laughs> well, called... We have plenty of time. <laughs> it was called Urban Decay, and it was about a were-rat taking over this small town, and the PCs have to go and stop him. And at one point, I decided to put in a... Uh, a place where the PCs can ask for information, try and gather information basically on the streets to figure out where the next clue in this mystery is. And originally I had a line, something like, you know, if the PCs succeed at a DC-20 gather information check, they learn that this this has happened at this, where rat, at this rat catcher's guild. Uh, and then I stopped and thought, well, that's not really great because what happens if they fail at it? I mean, it's pretty easy for first level or second level PCs to fail at a DC 20 check. It, does the adventure just stop? Like, <laughs> they're just like, well, I guess we better go home. There's no wear rats here. Uh, and so I revised it saying that if, uh, if they make the check, they get the information. If they fail the check, they still learn the information, but they also draw the attention of the wear rat guy who realizes they're onto him and he sends the minions after them who attack yeah. them. And that way, even a failure moves the adventure forward. Although it yeah. had a bit of an impact on the PCs, it'll use up some of their resources, and it might even be more fun if they fail because then they get a, a fight too. So, yeah. I like to um, I like to try and write that sort of situation into the the game where choices have consequences, but bad luck on the die rolls isn't gonna end the adventure forever. And as much as I try and keep that perspective in mind while I'm writing, you can account for what players are going to do. And I can read something and it sounds great, and then in development they read it and it sounds great. But until you actually sit down and play it, you may not catch 
the the problem. And so I think playtesting is pretty important for the uh, team at Paizo. Yeah. And that sort of idea about failing forward, I think is what people call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do you also play through the adventures that you write with your own group, or is that something you have to do on your own and then submit to Paizo? Yeah, I wasn't able to play test it with my own group. Uh, to do that, I would have had to like request yeah. that they sign NDAs and stuff like that. I have to be pretty circumspect with my writing, which is the hardest part of the job, <laughs> not telling everyone immediately, oh my gosh, I got this most <laughs> amazing job from Paizo, you won't even believe it. And, uh, and you won't, because it's great. But, uh, yeah, I have to be careful and, you know, maintain the trust that they've put in me that I'm going yeah, to yeah. keep my writing private. But if I wanted to, I'm sure I could make a request and as long as everyone was willing to sign NDAs. I have a pretty good group, so that may be something I'll look to, into in the future. You're very cool. Um, so uh, rumor has it you will be running a RPG writing panel at Geek Girl Con. Yeah. Uh, is this something a member of the species with the Y chromosome could go to or would that be a little too creepy? <laughs> No, it's it's open to everyone. Definitely, it's a very inclusive convention, uh, so all all people are welcome. And it's in Seattle, and it's in October. I think the nineteenth and twentieth. And it's going to actually be the first time I've been to Geek Girl Con, but I've heard a lot about it, and I've always been interested in going. And this year they had a call for panelists to submit, or for people to submit ideas for panels that they'd like to run, and. I thought, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun. And it's not a gaming convention specifically. It's about everything generally geek-related. So there'll be gaming stuff. There'll be comic book stuff, you know, TV and movie fandom and anime and science stuff, everything that's that's geeky. Uh, it was just organized by women as a place that would be – that would have a mission statement of being welcoming to and inclusive of uh, women contributions female contributions. So yeah, I decided why not? And I sent them a uh, proposal to do a panel on writing for role-playing games, which is something interesting. There there weren't a lot of women in the industry when I started, and it's still kind of not common, but it's getting more common. And I've always had really great experiences, you know, bringing my perspective into the the different role-playing projects that I've been on. And so I'm just going to talk a little bit about my background and the projects I'm working on and uh, I want to have some slides some of the amazing art that's been uh, tied to some of my writing and it should be a really good time I don't have a, like a date time for it yet but it's going to be called Writing for Role Playing Games at Geek Girl Con. Very cool, very cool now, got a question mm -hmm. you said that there's not a lot of uh, women in the industry right now do you uh, lady writers have a, a secret club and a handshake you guys <laughs> meet well, I tell you, but no, we don't. We don't have a secret thing. But I do keep in touch with a lot of different women writers and artists on Facebook, which is a great place for anyone who's looking to get into role playing games. Uh, friending the different companies and different individual writers and authors on Facebook or Twitter is a really great way to keep in touch with all the different people in the industry, see what's going on, and get tips if you're looking to become a writer yourself. Very cool, very cool. Uh, who else is going to be on this panel with you? Or is it just you? Right now it's just me, unless they okay. ask someone else to be on it, I guess. But uh, I don't uh, I don't have a lot of other people, like right here in town, that I thought would be 
interested in going with me. Um, although Edmonton, which is where I'm from, Edmonton, Alberta, up here in Canada, is turning into quite a little mini gaming uh, oasis, I guess, in the in the Canadian tundra, <laughs> and we have a lot of uh, a lot of writers and and artists and contributors to role-playing games are kind of all congregating to Edmonton, or at least to Alberta. Dave Gross lives here in town, and I've been very fortunate to become friends with him and be able to help him with his uh, Radovan and Jaguar Pathfinder Tales series, which he graciously let me pre-read uh, in exchange for some editing services. <laughs> and uh, his books are tremendous, and I definitely recommend everyone pick them up. And, yeah, I've made so many great, great friends and have so many great inspirations around me. I feel really lucky. It's a great time to be a writer. Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything from your panel. Or, you know, I don't want to take away from that. But do you have any sort of advice that you can give aspiring RPG writers? Maybe yeah, absolutely. Uh, I find that the role-playing industry is actually really receptive to new writers. And the number one thing I would tell people is just don't be afraid to ask for advice or ask for help or even ask for a job. Uh, editors are not like the mean, scary people that TV and, and movies kind of make them out to be. Most editors have their number one job is to get good content for their for their project lines. Uh, that's going to make their customers happy. And the best way to do that is to continue to attract you know new writers and help them become great writers. So... Uh, I don't want to steal his thunder, but there is a poster on RPG Crossing who recently asked me by PM for advice, and I told him a couple of things. Number one, keep writing. Write as much as you can. Write lots of different types of things. Practice writing, you know, both what we call crunch, which is hard rules, you know, feats, spells, that sort of thing, and fluff, which is adventure backgrounds and the history of your world or, or whatever it is. And create a portfolio of work you've done, even if it's for free, even if it's stuff posted on, say, the homebrew forum in RPG Crossing, because I had actually done quite a lot of that. It was easier for me to break into the writing industry when I started going to conventions like Gen Con. I would say, yeah, I've done a bunch of free content for Giant in the Playground, which I had at the time. And uh, that was a, that was appealing to editors. So once you have a portfolio of different types of work that you've done, you can pitch pitch yourself as a writer to the different editors. Just go to any of the the websites for the companies that you want to work for. There'll be some sort of contact us button and just say, hi, I'm interested in writing freelance for your organization. I have a portfolio of work that I've done for this website or that website or just of my own creations that I'm I'm willing to send to you. Uh, I'd love to hear if you have any projects available that I might be able to get into and be able to show you what I can do. And the poster who emailed me did this and sent his portfolio to Paizo and got a really nice response back and may be working on a Paizo project in the future. So I won't say who it is because I want him to be able to, you know, make the big reveal when he gets his, uh, he gets his projects. But it was a really great feeling. Like that's, that's as easy as it is. You are your own worst enemy a lot of, a lot of times. Very, and very cool. That actually leads into the story I was going to tell if we have time. Go for it. Tell Go it for now. it. We've got plenty of time. 
Okay. So I've, I think I may have posted this story back when it happened. It was a bunch of years ago. But I went to the Writing for Dungeon Magazine seminar at Gen Con in like 2006, I think it was. And I'd done a lot of writing for Dragon Magazine at the time, but I hadn't ever written for Dungeon, and I really wanted to because I like writing adventures. And a friend of mine uh, went, my friend uh, John Ling, who actually was the guy who originally poked me to submit that Ecology of the Duragar article. So I guess I kind of owe him for, like, my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> he's also an uh, RPG writer, so he's he's done a lot of really amazing work. And anyway, so John and I went to this panel along with another friend of ours, Troy. And we sat there. It was like a 60-minute panel. Eric Mona was there, who was the editor at the editor-in-chief at the time, I think, and James Jacobs. And... Uh, they ran us through this exercise where we built an adventure query and we shouted out, you know, who we thought the bad bad guy should be, the, you know, the big bad villain. And the guys would write it down on, like, the whiteboard. And then we all brainstormed as a group. And there was probably, like, 60 people there. Like, it was a big room. Uh, what the minions could be or, or if there should be any traps for this bad guy and what the bad guy's motivation was and how the PCs, like, get into it. And when we had all this stuff that we sort of agreed on as a group, there was a uh, exercise where we put it all together into a query. And the way it worked at the time in Dungeon was you sent in a query, like it was just a one-page summary of what your idea was for an adventure. And if they liked it, they would write back saying, oh, we're interested in this. Can you write it full length? And then we'll ask you for edits if we need it or, or whatever. But most of the time they said no because they got tons of queries all the time and they could only accept so many. So it was a really big deal to have a query accepted. So as a group, we wrote this adventure query and it was about a were-rat who wants to take over a city. And Eric, at the end of the seminar, said, this is a really good query. It's a solid adventure. I think it would be a lot of fun. All you guys who came here now to this panel have a job. You have to go home, write this up professionally, you know, put your own spin on it, send it to me, say that you're at the seminar and I'll pick the best one and I'll let that person write the adventure for Dungeon Magazine. And I was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. I mean, I wanted to get into the magazine and here's her telling me exactly how to get into the magazine. Like, it's amazing. It's like I came to a seminar called Writing for Dungeon Magazine. <laughs> and uh, then I started thinking, well, I don't know. On the other hand, I've already done a lot of writing for Dragon Magazine, you know, and I kind of know the guys. I actually started gaming with them at, at this point. So I feel kind of like a jerk taking this opportunity away from somebody else. Like, what if I submit it and I'm the best, and then some guy who's like, this is my chance, doesn't get his chance, and then I feel really bad. I'm sure I'll get into the magazine eventually kind of on my own merits. So, so there, it was this long, complicated thing in, in my head, and the upshot was I was not going to send in this query. So I went up to the panelists afterwards and you know, said hi and told them my long-winded explanation of why I wasn't going to send in this query. And at the end of it, Eric kind of smiled at me and said, yeah, nobody ever sends in the query. And I said, what? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, everybody else is going to. It's just me that's not going to. And he said, no, we do this all the time, like at Gen Con and... Gen Con, SoCon, Winter Fantasy, and Origins. Everywhere we go, we do this, and nobody ever sends in the query. Huh. And I was like, that that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why would nobody send in the query? Wow. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't like, make any sense all, to me. 
paid money to be here and spent like an hour of our time at a panel called How to Write for Dungeon Magazine. And you're like, hi, I'm the editor. Here's how to write for Dungeon Magazine. I don't really <laughs> see where the problem is. <laughs> and he said, I don't know. people jobs. <laughs> yeah. He said, I don't know. Uh, either they think, you know, someone else is going to do it better or I'm kidding or I don't know. They're, they're not going to look creative or who knows why. They just, everyone talks themselves out of it. And I said, well, that's dumb. Like, if nobody else is going to do it, I will. And so I went home and I wrote this query. And I said to John, are you going to write the query? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm really busy right now. And I said, fine, I'll be the only one who writes the query. <laughs> and I did. And I sent it in. And I was the only one. And I got the job because nobody else sent it in. Um, and that's kind of the role-playing industry in a nutshell you know there's so many great writers out there who really want a chance and have amazing stories and and material to contribute and they literally talk themselves out of it so if you're listening to this podcast and you want to be a writer first of all feel free to facebook me or email me and ask me for advice i'm totally up for that uh and second you know just go for it just find who you want to write for Find somebody who is an editor or contact person at the company and write them a short professional note saying, I'm interested in any freelancing opportunities you have. That's step one. And, of course, Paizo also has their RPG Superstar, which is a good way to break in. And uh, like I was saying earlier, if you follow different companies on Facebook, um, Open Design, I think, recently had a submission process where they were looking for new freelancers. And Zombie Sky Press recently had an open call for like dark fairy tale stories. So if you just follow all these companies, you'll see, you'll start to see the opportunities come up. What RPG writer or writer in general do you think has inspired you the most? Uh, gosh, that's really tough. Um, obviously, being a writer requires you to be a really dedicated reader to start. And I've always been into reading. I think the first series I ever read that really inspired me to get into gaming and fantasy in general was probably Terry Brooks' Shannara series. And I'm still kind of in love with it. It's a great series. And uh, Ray Bradbury would be another one of my one of, another one of my heroes. He's amazing. I wrote him a fan letter once and he wrote me back and it was like <laughs> one of my most precious possessions. Uh, and then it also vanished in a move. So I don't know. I have like gnomes that live in my house that steal like my most important things from me. But uh, he ended every one of his sentences with an exclamation mark, which I thought was amazing, uh, including dear Amber, like exclamation. Mark. <laughs> Thank you for your letter. Exclamation mark. You can do it. Uh, anyway, Ursula Le Guin, definitely a major influence. She writes the kind of fantasy I wish I could write. And... As far as role-playing people, I mean, everyone that I've ever worked with has been incredible. I honestly can't think of a really bad experience I've had working for, like, Paizo or Wizards or Giant in the Playground. I'm a big fan of Monty Cooks. I love his work. Um, big fan of Sean Reynolds. I sat next to him accidentally at a panel once before I was a, a real writer, and it was really cool. And <laughs> uh, I belong to an organization called Wear Cabbages. Yes, Wear Cabbages. Like werewolves. Interesting. Yeah. Like cabbages. Yes. They, they uh, turn into cabbages in the middle of the night or something. Yes. Or? That sort of thing. Yep. Obey the laws are catchphrase. And uh, we're just sort of an organization of freelance writers who wanted to combine our our information and 
offer, you know, help to each other as far as brainstorming and editing and that sort of thing goes. And I've been introduced to so many amazing people there. Hal McLean that I worked on Halflings of Galarian with, John Ling, of course, um, and Nick Logue, and Lou Agresta, and Rowan Barton, and I feel like I should stop naming people because for everyone I name, it's going to be <laughs> the, like the seven Oscar more. Gonna name. Start tuning and then everyone will be like, how come you mentioned Lou and John and not me? <laughs> so... <laughs> And, uh, and Liz Quartz, of course, who works for Paizo now. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah, lots of other people. Now, is this a Wear Cabbage Association something that anybody's welcome to join, or is it just like your secret circle of uh, published writer friends? It's a secret circle right now. But uh, if you need work done or you want tips or anything like that, then it's a good organization to be in contact with, even though the membership is closed. How does a cabbage bite you to infect you in the first place? <laughs> it's 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 very complicated. It's okay. very complicated. It's part of the secret. <laughs> yeah, it's it's when that's the first thing you learn once you're indoctrinated. Gonna have to publish some work, hug, and get in there and get the four one one on that answer. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be bitten by a cabbage. <laughs> Their teeth are very soft, so yeah, and leafy. More like a yeah, yeah, a, a, a slow sucking moist sort of thing in my arms. <laughs> and you know, when regular vampires bite you, you get like you know you low in iron and stuff. But when cabbages bite you, you actually get a lot of essential vitamins and minerals. <laughs> <laughs> so, so part of the process is biting them back, I guess. Well, yes, and sometimes you know you can saute them first. Mm, now I'm getting hungry. So, I, have, I can't go past without asking, um, when are your next plans to come back down to Sydney? <laughs> yeah, I had a wonderful vacation in Sydney two years ago. Was it two years ago? I think almost, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it seems like. Yeah, and I got ago, to Chicago yeah. and we had a, a wonderful dinner out with his friends and family and it was awesome. Uh, I would love to come back. I'm hoping maybe next year. Yeah, cool. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> <laughs> we won't, but... But I really think we need to get an RPGX crossing going so that we can all meet in person and have a, a fantastic weekend. Yeah, it's just so many different countries. It's very hard to get everyone flying around the place. I bet we could kickstart a uh, convention. Kickstarter, yeah. An American convention, yeah. Yeah, Kickstarter. We should do that. We'll have to talk to uh, Birch about that. <laughs> in the meantime, we'll just have to find like some kind of online... You know, like a virtual space. I know, yeah, and just interact. meet there and talk. And, yeah, yeah and, and play games like through text and stuff like that. That, that would be, be cool <laughs> if such a place existed. If only such a place existed. <laughs> that would solve so many problems. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that is pretty much it for the interview. Um, if nobody has anything else to add. I, I can't stop the cabbage, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Made a little bit of Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a really great time. That concludes Episode 7. I want to thank Amber Scott once again for joining us. I would also like to remind everyone that you can contact any one of us on the show on the RPG Crossing forums, or if conversations 140 characters at a time is more your thing, you can find Hugga at HVG3AKAEK and myself at ROBI1475 on Twitter.